Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here at Incarnation. And as we've already said, and you've probably noticed, this is the first Sunday in Advent. And that word Advent simply means arrival. And so this is a season when we wait and we prepare and we hope for the arrival of Jesus. And there are two dimensions, two sort of timelines to that arrival. There's an already and a not yet. The already advent of Jesus, the first advent, is of course Christmas. It's when, as that collect we just prayed said, your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility. It's when God himself was born as a baby. But there is this other advent, this second advent, the not yet arrival of Jesus, when this same Jesus who was born a baby will return to set the world right. And our collect called this advent the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead. And we, the people of God, the church of Jesus, we live in the time between these two advents, between the now and the not yet arrivals of Jesus. And one of the ways that the church throughout the ages has tried to live faithfully between those advents is this very old tradition of preaching something called the four last things on the four Sundays of Advent. Death, heaven, hell, I skipped judgment. So, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. It's a way that we look beyond this present life, this present world, to the life that's to come, to the arrival that will come once and for all, to that final and second advent. And so that's what we're preaching on this year. And that means that today I'm going to preach about death. And if you're sort of doing the math and counting out the Sundays, it means that on the Sunday before Christmas Eve, I'm going to preach about hell. So invite all your friends. <laughs> but before I get into today's sermon, I just want to speak a few words of caution. And the first is that preaching on death stirs up strong feelings. Feelings of sadness and loss and anger and fear and injustice. And in fact, today is the anniversary of the death of someone really dear to this church. So some of you are grieving today. And scripture calls death an end, a severance. It calls death the last enemy. And so death is not a thing we are meant to make peace with. It is something, though, that God will enter into with us. And we'll talk about that but it stirs a lot in us. And the second warning, as we talk about death and as we talk about the last things and the second coming, that when we talk about these things, we're talking about things that we don't know a lot about. These are things Scripture doesn't say a lot about, and what it says is not terribly clear. We will preach and emphasize the things that are, but there is a lot that isn't. There's a lot that the church doesn't agree about with what happens after we die. These are things that God has chosen not to reveal to us in full. And they're things that even if we did, we couldn't understand because we are finite. We cannot comprehend what is infinite. 
We are grasping at these things, but we can never quite lay hold of them this side of death. Scripture tries to help us get past the limits of our language. When it talks about the last things, it uses metaphor and imagery, apocalyptic visions, poetry. It's trying to get at what is past the edges of our words. And one theologian puts it this way. He said, the Bible uses the earthly human categories of time and space, not primarily to describe literally where we will be, and how we will exist after time, but to describe symbolically who we will be. Scripture is not primarily interested in the furniture of heaven or the temperature of hell, but in people and whether they will be with God or apart from God. And so all of our contemplation of these last things this Advent season, all of them stir deep things in us, And all of them call us to humility and to trust. Humility because we are speaking of things that are ultimately unknowable. And trust because it is God himself who has hidden them from us. Do we trust this God who has chosen not to give us a lot of information about death, judgment, heaven, and hell? Can we trust the end of our lives, the end of the lives of those we love, and the end of all things to him? Is this God really and truly and completely good? Which is another way of asking, is God God? We can't get very far into the last things without confronting our view of who God is. And when we do, we might discover there that we don't fully trust him. We might discover we are not convinced he is good. And these are not unspeakable things. These are things we can bring into this community. The psalmist today gives us a model of saying things that seem unsayable to God, to one another, even praying those uncomfortable discoveries within ourselves. The last things are this invitation into a conversation with each other and with God, an invitation for God to heal our view of who he is. So I want to begin with that gospel text from Matthew. And Jesus in that text is speaking of his second coming. He's speaking of that second advent. And he says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. If that first Advent is emphasizing God's nearness, his with-usness, his flesh, his like-usness, this second Advent is emphasizing his otherness, all of the ways he is unknowable and beyond our comprehension. And so great is this mystery of this second Advent that even the angels don't know when it will be. And Matthew says, even the sun doesn't know when it will be. Do you hear these words from Jesus' lips? Even the sun doesn't know. Somehow, Jesus in his humanity has so emptied himself of divine knowledge that the time of his own earthly return is unknown to him. 
This is beyond what we can really grasp, that somehow God has hidden something from God's self. And right away we see that this second advent gets us into really deep and difficult theological territory. And when we find ourselves there, in this deep and difficult place, what does God ask of us? Does he ask us to understand, to know what's coming next, to decode the signs, to know the way? No, in this passage, God says, keep awake, be ready. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then as he does, Jesus tells a few stories to make his point. One is the familiar story of Noah and the flood of God's judgment. Right up until the time it began to rain, he says, people were just going about their lives. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And then suddenly the rains came and everyone was caught unaware and swept away. And then he tells another story, sort of a couplet of stories about two people working in a field or grinding flowers side by side. All of a sudden, one is taken away, just like the people in the flood, and one remains. And he tells another story about a burglar who breaks into a house when the master is sleeping. All of a sudden, he's stolen something. What all these stories have in common is that people are just going about their ordinary lives, their everyday business, and in an instant, without any warning, everything changes. And Jesus uses these stories to call people to wakefulness, to readiness. And this wakefulness doesn't mean scrutinizing the culture or the current events, and trying to find hidden signs, trying to read between the headlines. In fact, earlier in this same chapter, Jesus says, don't do that. He says people will point to different signs and say, see, that means the Son of Man is coming. See, there's a sign. And he says, no, don't listen to them. They are wrong. Nobody knows. No, staying awake doesn't mean reading the tea leaves, watching for signs. It means looking to Jesus, watching for Jesus, keeping our eyes open even in the darkest hours of the night, straining for the dawn, believing, knowing it will come, staying awake, living in the reality of that second advent. And so it means taking all those ordinary moments of our little lives all of our eating and our drinking and our marrying and our working and throwing all of our lives into Jesus' great life and into the life to come with him. And keeping awake means recognizing that when rain begins to fall, when our companion in the field suddenly disappears, when a thief breaks into our house, we are going to need in that moment something outside of ourselves to intervene. We are going to need a boat to carry us to safety. We are going to need a savior to rescue us from judgment. And to keep awake and to be ready is to look to Jesus as that hope, as that boat, as that savior 
to cry out to him and to trust him. And it turns out this is not just how we face the second coming of Jesus. This is how we face our own death as well. Because at the last, all we can do is trust the one who made us in love to save us. Our collect reminds us that now in the time of our mortal life is the time that we are living in. We are mortal. But it wasn't always so. Scripture tells us that humanity was made to be immortal. That at the beginning of time, God created a human body from the dust. And then that God breathed his own breath into it. And that body became a living being, a soul. These particles of matter that we call dust were suddenly enlivened with the breath of God. And they were given this garden to tend, these relationships to steward, these lives of peace and fullness and joy and deep satisfaction. And humans exist as this cohesive union of body and soul. But almost from the moment of creation, from our very earliest ancestors, all humans, including us, have sinned. We have done what God has said not to do, and the consequence of that is death. Now we are mortal. Now we die. And scripture speaks of death as an end, a punishment, a severance, isolation, and darkness, the last enemy. About 20 years ago, I was training for a marathon, never ran it, don't be uh, impressed. <laughs> but I injured my knee while I was training. And um, I didn't have good health insurance, I didn't have good shoes, that's how I hurt my knee. So I didn't do anything about it. This is a pattern uh, in my life. I just sort of let it go. And so over time, my spine actually curved to protect this injury. I developed scoliosis somehow, slowly, over the last 20 years. And by now, everything on that side of my body has just gone crooked. What at the time seemed like self-protection has become this source of further injury and further pain. And there's so much scar tissue over there, you can't even see what it used to be like. And humanity is like that. Sin is like that. It curls us in on ourselves we try to shield ourselves from the pain of it, but in the process, we inflict more pain. We get so curled around this wound of sin that we don't remember anymore what it's like to unfurl, to live unguarded and unafraid and without pain in the presence of the God who made us. This wound of sin in humanity has malformed us for a life forever with God. And so we need a kind of healing that we cannot do for ourselves, something that comes from outside of us. We actually need to die because otherwise we would live forever with this painful wound. And death in the Christian view is the moment when the body and the soul are severed from one another. When the soul departs this decaying physical body, when the body returns to the dust from which it was made, and when the soul returns to the God who breathed it into being. And at death, 
In an instant, everything is laid bare. We are seen as we truly are by the God who knows everything. And immediately, immediately, the faithful enter this refuge of rest and peace and joy in God's presence. And immediately, it seems, the souls of some do not. And in this intermediate state, the body and the soul remain separate from one another, and the dead wait for what we call the final resurrection, the coming of Jesus. And then, like a thief in the night, like a flood in the desert, at a moment nobody knows, Jesus will return to judge the world. He will return to set everything right. He will return to finally resurrect the dead and to reunite body and soul in a restored humanity. Humans as they were always made to be, fitted for a life forever with God. And this is the second advent. It's the last day. We find we can face this second advent because of the first advent. Because when God took on flesh in the person of Jesus, he didn't just be born at Christmas. He also died at Easter. Jesus took our mortal wound into his flesh, and it killed him. But God raised him from the dead. God healed the wound. And the God who receives our souls at death died for us and with us. And so we, if we have entrusted our lives to him in faith, our death has already been swallowed up in his death. And his death, as Isaiah said, will one day swallow up all death forever. So that as we heard from Romans, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And in the meantime, keep awake. Be ready. Trust the God who made us and died for us in love to save us at the hour of our death. This is normally a time when we have silent reflection, and we will, but your thoughts might be noisy. They might not be silent. As I said earlier, the last things stir up a lot in us, a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns, a lot of emotions. And so if you have questions, I would invite you to write them down before you forget them. If you have things that you want to follow up on, write them down. You can talk to me or Katie after the service. You can email us anytime or text us. We would love to talk to you. And if you have questions about the last things that are coming in future weeks, judgment, heaven, hell, let us know. All questions are askable in this community of faith. God can hold them. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are our companion in life and death. We ask for your grace 
and your mercy, your humility, and your healing as we peer into these last things. Would you heal our view of who you are? Would you give us hope? In Jesus' name, amen.